0: This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com and wellstartcoach.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a passion and purpose-driven life. Today, we are talking with Kevin Davis. Kevin is a plant-based coach and anxiety coach. He has his own story of being the 280 pound kid in high school, to becoming a bodybuilder, to flirting with keto, to being in a traumatic car accident, to spending years as an agoraphobic and coming out of it. And he's now my partner at wellstartcoach.com. He's one of the lead coaches at Wellstart Health. And he and I together train coaches to help people make predictable, reliable and sustainable positive changes in their health habits and outcomes. The reason we're doing this show today is partly because next week we start another cohort of coach training. We're training people to be wellness coaches, to be health coaches, to develop a reliable process to help people. Uh, One of my criticisms of the coaching profession is that it tends to be hit or miss. We've got lots of methods, tools, visualizations, assessments, processes, And we apply them sort of randomly and haphazardly. And our coach training provides a step-by-step roadmap for helping people make reliable, predictable, sustainable change. If you're interested, go to wellstartcoach.com. You can read about it and sign up for an enrollment interview. I hope by the end of this conversation that the people who are interested and who would be a good fit will go do that because you'll understand what we're up to and why we do what we do. But The main goal of this conversation is to help people who are trying to change understand what the obstacles are that may have been getting in your way and how to begin to go about addressing those obstacles, whether you do it with a coach, with WellStart Health, or just on your own. You know, the thing is we've, we see predictable obstacles, the same sorts of things, stop people, get in their way, slow them down, make them give up, and they're unnecessary. And so in this conversation, we're going to talk about the seven different layers of habit change and help you self-diagnose through questions and through examples where you might be stuck and then some of the things you can do to get unstuck. And if you're a coach, I hope this will be helpful for you in refining your practice. Before we get to it, one quick announcement, which is this podcast is supported by those who can afford it and available for those who cannot. So if you are a longtime listener and... You think this is a message that is a good one out in the world, even for people who can't afford to pay for it, then you can put your money where your mouth is. You can become a supporter on Patreon and help me with the costs of running this podcast, both the fixed costs, the hard costs, the equipment and my time. And you can do that at patreon.com and just go search for Plant Yourself, and it should be pretty self-explanatory from there. Or you can just go to plantyourself.com and look for the Patreon or donate links in the right sidebar. All right, let's talk about how to help others and ourselves change our habits and behaviors to become more healthy. Without further ado, Kevin Davis, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Hey, Howard, thanks. It kind of feels like this has been a long time coming. We've talked about this for for some time so. right
0: and, and then out of the blue like this morning i said hey can you do 11 yeah <laughs> so i i gave you three hours to prepare so i I'm, I'm expecting you know a polished performance
1: oh of course i i actually wrote out every word that i want to say uh, and have everything memorized so
0: uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah no I have, a te- I have the teleprompter scrolling on my computer too so so far we're, <laughs> so far we're right on script perfect um so we're we're going to talk about uh, a project that we're doing together which is the well start coach training but you've got your own cool interesting story so why don't why don't we start by by honoring that why don't you tell us first of all who who you are what you're up to and then we'll get into kind of what what brought you here
1: sure yeah i'm uh kevin davis i'm a i'm a health coach, but then also as, as Howard kind of alluded to the project that we're working on, um, is training health coaches as well. So, you know, what I really love to do is to not only to help people, uh, better themselves and their health and better their lives, but really to help people who want to help people. I, I love coaching coaches or training trainers, I've, you know, it's something that I've always loved to do. So in that regard, um, my, my background started in personal training, uh, with a bachelor's degree in exercise science. And so I've spent a lot of time in that realm. But even when I was doing that, even, even back right out of school, my favorite thing was to take kind of the knowledge or the new things that I had learned and turn that into something that I could teach the other trainers to do. So that's just kind of always been a part of my professional, um, life that I enjoyed.
0: Great. And and like almost like everyone at WellStart, you have your own dramatic health improvement story. Can we get can we get into your story because it's cer- it's certainly going to be relevant when we talk about polyvagal theory and one one of the key differences between our coach training and others that I've seen out there.
1: Yeah, for sure. My so my story is kind of funny because like I have I, I sort of went both ways. You know, I I, I got into. Uh, personal training and strength coaching originally because I was overweight as a teenager and just kind of got into like the bodybuilding aspect of that. And so I was doing a lot of weightlifting, trying to, I've, I always kind of had that mindset of like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too small, but also too fat, you hmm. know, um, wanting more muscle, but, but when you say small, you mean fat. like,
0: like sort of scrawny, but fat cause you're, you're pretty tall.
1: Yeah. And well, and I was, I never honestly was scrawny. Um, but that's kind of the mentality. It's sort of, to me, that, that's what bodybuilding kind of mentality brought to me was like, I, I always need my arms to be another inch bigger and my chest to be another inch bigger and whatever that is to, to gain more muscle. Um, so there's always like this struggle of am I eating to cut fat or am I eating to gain weight or what am I doing? And, and it was always this kind of internal struggle between the two.
0: So the bodybuilding for you, was, was it mostly about appearance or was it strength or, or something else?
1: I, I suppose a combination of appearance and strength, but the reality came down to, to appearance. Mm-hmm. It, it very much was, you know, being a teenager, being overweight and, and not comfortable with my own body and you know you're, you're you're at that age where certainly girls are interesting and just this being a fat kid sort of you know thought of oh who's gonna who's gonna be attracted to me
0: mm. and when you say fat you kid know? like are we talking you know josh fat or
1: um you no know, 280 somewhere in the 280 kind so of range was always my in high school in high school yeah
0: that's pretty fat
1: yeah, and, and you're bit, what? I mean, you're six two, six six two,
0: correct. Yeah. So, so what so would that, what would a good weight have been for you? Like 200, uh, 190, well, 180? At that
1: point, I probably would have been happy with two fifteen. But in reality, I really, you know, now that I've actually gotten to a uh, a healthier weight and, and through a healthier lifestyle, I'm much happier. Uh, one eighty five, one ninety, anywhere in that range. Um, I would say the the best shape of my life has always been in the Mid to upper 180s.
0: Mm-hmm. So essentially, you were 100, 100 pounds overweight in high school. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when you started bodybuilding, did you lose the fat or did you just kind of get beefy and some definition around it?
1: Yeah, some of both, somewhere in between those two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there was a point where through that, I lost a, almost all the fat and, and I got very lean and, and had a lot of muscle. And, um, realistically objectively looking at it now my body was looking pretty good but even then i still had that mentality of i need to be bigger and i need to be less fat Mm -hmm. that's bigger and smaller at the same time
0: Uh uh-huh so so even when your body was sort of getting close to the perfection you were you were craving and maybe looking at in the magazines it didn't really affect your self-image that much
1: no no it didn't no Mm -hmm the, the, the self image was still poor there <laughs> and and it's fun and it's kind of interesting that you know I, I suppose that it's something about the the way i was going about it and the and the reasoning behind it because now um you know my reason for being healthy and for being fit is very very different and my in my thought process is more um i actually i love the description that uh you and josh talked about in was it last week or the week before the podcast with Josh Lajani? Yeah, last week. Talking about power.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right. Speaking about power. And that is that really struck a chord with me because the difference now to me is thinking about what my body can do and, um, you know, having a healthier body and a longer, healthier life with more energy rather than thinking about, well, I can look like a guy in the magazine. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, look sexy with my shirt off or whatever kind of a mentality didn't just didn't do the same for me. But so, so I, so I did that. I, you know, the bodybuilding was kind of the, the, uh, process then. And it, and it just really, it wasn't about health at all. So, you know, if, if caffeine was going to help me lose five more pounds over, over the next 12 weeks, then okay, we're taking a bunch of caffeine pills or something, you know, I mean, whatever it was to get leaner and get stronger was all that really mattered, not the health. Um, so the, the problem with that is then when things came up a little bit later in life, then I wasn't healthy. I didn't have a healthy diet. I didn't have a healthy mindset. And so it was very easy to put that weight back on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Um, so I wanted to ask you, so when you, when you were 280 in high school, so I'm, I mean, I'm imagining that some part of your brain is going, okay, so Kevin Davis's default is fat kid and he can overcome that with. Intense amounts of, of of weightlifting and crazy diet hacks, but that's all plate spinning. And basically, if, if if Kevin doesn't keep doing that, he then you know springs back in his original shape. What what was your diet that got you to two eighty and kept you there?
1: That oh, got me to two eighty. Oh, that was uh, the Burger King diet. <laughs> you know, I it's it's funny because I can remember. Even before I got to that weight, being younger and having that, and, and I'm sure a lot of, of people, a lot of guys out there, a lot of people out there can relate to this, is that mentality as a kid of, oh, I can eat as much as dad. Hmm. So, you know, I may, have, I may have been half of dad's size and I may have been not very old and, you know, dad's a grown man eating a full meal. But then, I want to eat that full meal. You know we get a burger King and get the big double whopper with the fries and all that stuff
0: is there Is there more there because when, like in my in my understanding, eating the standard American diet and trying to match Dad and going to Burger King, that could do thirty forty fifty pounds for you a hundred pounds I find there's usually some sort of emotional thing or trauma or something was were you just like an overachiever or or was there more driving your weight than than just the uh you know the the thermodynamics of calories
1: yeah uh you know at that point it's hard it's hard to say i suppose i haven't really done a a deep dive in what sort of you know emotional things may have led to that i mean like i said i I, I almost wonder, I think the the matching dad, you know, the being as big and strong and eating as much as dad thing was the way that I developed the ability to do, to gain that. Mm. Um, by doing that, then, you know, at a younger age, I'm eating more food than I really need. Um, but I, I always loved food in general. And that's what's funny is, you know, you asked what I ate. And it's like, yeah, I did the standard American diet, but I ate a ton of healthy things. I had a ton of vegetables as well. Um, my grandparents always had a huge garden and, and they would grow all these fresh vegetables. And so we, most of our vegetables came from there. Um, but you know, I could have a huge portion of, of okra or, or, uh, beans or whatever it was, but then also have, you know, uh, a handful of fried pies afterward.
0: Uh-huh. Gotcha. All right. So you were doing the bodybuilding and get, you know, sort of getting cut and not feeling that you were a different person, but sort of plate spinning. Then what happened?
1: Well, so actually, you know, one thing that, you know, when you mentioned the plate spinning, one thing that I think is interesting is I, is I did a lot of that like bouncing back and forth. So I would, I would spin the plates for a few months and then, uh, you know, in college, for example, I would spin the plates all summer long and drop a whole bunch of weight. And then in the fall, I would go back to school and party with my friends and eat pizza and drink beer and, and gain even more back. Hmm. Um, and it, it's almost like I had deprived myself because I had that deprivation mindset, right? So I had deprived myself for three months. So then when it came time where I was going to eat the pizza instead of eating you know, a couple slices, I ate the whole thing and had ice cream with it <laughs> gotcha so 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 that went on for a few years um eventually got into to, to relatively good shape uh, I, I wouldn't say very good health but pretty good shape um and, and at one point i was in a car accident and that was really i think as as much as some of what happened afterward felt like a lot of suffering and and felt like a terrible thing that, you know, I would wish I could take back or whatever. I think that was the moment that really was, you know, if you want to call it like a turning point for me in my life, because I had all this, you know, exercise knowledge and I would tried all these diets and done all this stuff, but I got in that car accident. Um, You know, it was, it was fairly serious for the car, but I, I wasn't physically injured. But then afterward, um, I started feeling panic attacks and my heart would be doing these crazy things. And, 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 just, I didn't have health insurance at the time. So I didn't go see a doctor, didn't get anything diagnosed to realize that there was nothing wrong with me. And I got to, to a point where I thought that maybe I had messed up my heart or done something terrible to my body, to my health, because of all of the bodybuilding, all the caffeine and all of those, you know, stimulants to lose weight.
0: Mm. Well, can you you describe, like, the the salient part of the car accident?
1: Well, so the car accident, yeah, that was – I I was in a car and I had – someone was swerving into my lane and I had the option of either, you know, hitting them and we've got a a two-person – you know, a two-vehicle accident or going off on a sidewalk where there were no people. So I chose the sidewalk and it turns out that that was broken apart and very slick, so – uh, I hit the brakes and just slammed right into a, a large uh, telephone pole, or light pole. And the hood of the vehicle crumpled up into sort of like a V shape, or an upside down V shape, where I could see into the engine. And the engine burst into flames as I was sitting there. A little bit scary, kind of freaked me out. And the part that really made it worse was that as I was trying to get out of the car to run away from the flames... Uh, the seatbelt didn't want to release. So I felt trapped. Hmm. And I think that was you know had a lot to do with with where things went for me. Was that that fear, you know, that feeling trapped that that came from not being able to undo the seatbelt for you know for a minute or two however long it was that it actually I mean, you know obviously my concept of time there is a little bit off, but it felt like it took a long time. But, mm-hmm Um, so, you know, so that led to me just remaining in that, uh, that frozen in the fight or flight state, you know, just the fear stayed there. I mean, it took years for me to really get to a point where, um, where I could do most things in life that I used to do.
0: Right. And I think that, you know, this is, this will be really important because when we talk about the coach training, can you talk about... What like looking back, you know, with everything you know now about anxiety and trauma, like what what what, what actually happened to you, and what you know, and how did it, how did it uh, manifest in your body and your psyche, and what did it take to overcome it?
1: So you know, it's interesting because as as I listen to uh, to people talk about how how this this sort of thing works, how trauma works. Um I now know or I now feel that if I had known what I do now, if I had had been able to react and and respond to it, um I it may not have been so much suffering afterward. The the problem is I felt trapped and so our you know our body goes into that fight flight or freeze kind of mechanism. Probably a lot of us have heard of the fight or flight response. Um, you know for me, that meant heart rate elevating and, and adrenaline pumping and, you know, breathing, getting shallow and, and feeling like it was difficult to breathe. And, and a lot of these symptoms, I mean, if you look up uh, the symptoms of a panic attack, uh, then there's, a rec- there's a huge list. And they say for it to be a true panic attack, you've got to have, and I forget what the, the three symptoms or something like that. And I always wished that I only had three, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. I was like, no, that list is pretty much what I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Um, But so I went into that state, right? And and this high adrenaline, this high heart rate, this shallow breathing state that I'm in. And I didn't have any sort of response to work through this. I just stayed there and and I felt those feelings and I felt trapped in that moment. And the experience, the, the action of what happened in that car accident, you know, at this point, that is something that is just a story of, of a thing that happened in my life. Like, I could tell you um, that I went out to lunch uh, with my father last week, and, and that was a thing that happened in my life, and it doesn't, you know, cause a whole lot of uh, uh, trauma or crazy emotional feelings for me down the road. It was just a lunch, and I had a salad, you know, whatever. Um, but this car accident because of being frozen in that state and not, uh, dealing with it and not incorporating it as part of my story. It just became a permanently stuck a place where I stayed for, like I said, for years, it was as though I was just in that car accident, reliving it over and over again. Um, I couldn't go to the movies, you know, I didn't go to the movies for, Oh, I think it was oh, like eight years or something like that.
0: What, what, uh, what was what was it about the, the, the experience of being at the movies that was unbearable?
1: It was a, it was as silly as this might sound. It was a trapped feeling. You know, I've paid and I've gone into this movie, and this movie lasts for two hours and thirteen minutes, and I'm supposed to stay in in this seat, stay in this theater, and not leave during that time, and and. Even though technically, you know, I ha- you have the choice to leave a movie in the middle of it if you want to, I felt like I didn't. And so even just going to a movie felt like I was trapped, just like I was in that car when I wanted to get out and couldn't.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, 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 you know, I, I use the movie example, and that may not mean a whole lot to some people, but to me, that was, I mean, I, I always loved, you know, going to movies. Um, as a teenager in my twenties, I oh that was always one of my favorite things to do was go to the movies. You know, I can remember going, and we would pick a you know an eight o'clock movie and a ten o'clock movie and see them back to back. So for me to not want to do that was was fairly significant.
0: Gotcha. So then what happened? How did you begin to heal, and where did you go from there?
1: So for me, uh, coaching was really what. What helped begin the healing process? I I really was kind of just grasping at straws, looking for anything that I could find that might get me out of this. I mean, I just felt like I was suffering. I was having these panic attacks, you know, three times a day. I had to, I had quit my job um, and, and started personal training just kind of on my own. I was training people in the garage out behind my house just so that I wouldn't have to drive because it was the same road where the accident happened that I had to drive to get to work. Mm. Um, so there was, you know, some major life changes and, and, and then I was just looking for any little thing. And if I heard that maca root powder was, you know, beneficial when you're going through stress, then I would buy maca root powder and make a little smoothie out of it or something. You know what I mean? Just what, just whatever I could find, Uh um, at some point, my, my mom actually found a, a, an anxiety specific coaching program online and it was specifically coaching not therapy or counseling um, and that's kind of something that that we distinguish in what we do it as far as what you know what type of work you're doing with someone and we can talk about that later but I, I worked with this coach and he kind of gave me some of these skills of using meditation and mindfulness some different visualization techniques to be able to Just calm my mind and my nervous system down. Because initially, you know, all the cognitive talk in the world was great. And then I, you know, and you could talk about all these logical ways to think about things and how there's nothing wrong with your heart and, you know, it can handle all of this, you know, fast beating that it's doing and all this stuff. But without having my body, my mind, my nervous system calm down. None of that stuff really meant anything. I was still having panic attacks all the time. So the, the meditation and relaxation, getting into a daily habit of that was really, really the big thing that, that changed everything for me. Um, gave me the opportunity to dive a little deeper and, and, and continue to develop those muscles, um, those skills to be able to work through this. And, and now, you know, there's not a whole lot that I really restrict myself
0: Right. And um, let's put a pin in that because let's come back to it when we talk about how relevant that is for coaching people to change their their habits and lifestyles. But let's let's continue with your journey. Eventually, you figured out how to eat, right?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, so eventually after that accident, I figured out how to eat bad again. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. And, and put all that weight back on that I had lost through college and through all those, those years of doing the bodybuilding, um, some, some of the advice that I got somewhere along the way with that anxiety was that maybe I should not be doing as much exercise because it produces lactic acid, and lactic acid can cause panic attacks. And so I, I don't believe that that's actually good advice that anyone should listen to at this point because I realize that the exercise also teaches your body to... Uh, Uh, to get rid of the lactic acid, to flush it out more Mm -hmm. effectively. Um, But because of that advice, I stopped being active, um, and and then I continued to eat unhealthy foods and and put all that weight back on. So put all that weight back on, I'm back up around the 280 mark again. Um, But this time now, I'm at that 280 while feeling like I can't do anything physically because I've stopped exercising and I got to a point where I felt like I couldn't even, you know, take my dogs for a decent walk. I would go uh, a half a mile walk with my dogs and feel like that was pushing it for me. A uh, flight of stairs felt like, you know, just a huge task to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were you still working as like a fitness trainer at this point?
1: At that point, I was not. So I was mainly working just in the anxiety coaching by then. Okay. So... Um, but all the while, you know, while I was going through that, there was a, a period of a few years where I somehow came across, um, a couple of people that, that some, some of the folks out there listening to might've heard of uh, this guy named Rich Roll and this Howard Jacobson guy. Um, and I had heard, I, you know, I, I can recall, I it might've even been Dr. Khan. Um, but I can remember hearing an interview with a medical doctor on, on, you know, a couple of these podcasts and then so started learning about this idea of eating a lot of plants and, and not eating all the junk that I was eating before and how, how big and how helpful that could be in, in my life. And, um, it was just kind of planting seeds for a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was initially a lot of the, a lot of the stuff with Rich Roll And then, you know, came along to the time, when I was starting to get ready to try, like when I was, just was tired of being physically incapable of what I, you know, what I used to be able to do or what even just I thought a normal human being should be able to do, walk their dogs or things like that. Um, I just got tired of it. I wanted to lose the weight. and um, Well, Rich, so started, and Rich's,
0: Rich's story is, you know, is, is so resonant with your experience.
1: Oh, big time. Right. It, it really did. I mean, especially, you know, I mean, you even get down to, uh, he had kind of that freak out going up the stairs and worrying about his heart.
0: Yeah. Uh, which, that, which probably he, he doesn't really talk about anxiety, but probably it was, it was in there, right?
1: Oh, it had to be, it had to be. I mean, I, the, when I heard, when I first hit, heard him tell that story, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> this is, this feels very familiar. Uh uh-huh. Um, And so that and it's funny because, it, you know, I was listening to all this stuff and all these people talk about, you know, this healthier way of life for a couple of years. And there was a you know, there's a time period where I started doing some plant based meals. And I was I remember I did this thing where I would slice zucchinis and cook them on like a George Foreman type grill and put, you know, pizza sauce and stuff on them or whatever and make a little thing and, you know, trying to, yeah, it actually, it was awesome, (laughs) 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 you know, season it and some, some, some vegetables on top and stuff. And it was really good. And so I got into that and then my wife and I moved and, um, to a a place where a a lady married you, she did. I, can you believe it? (laughs) Well, not, not from your
0: description of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it,
1: it, it's amazing. When did, when, how, did, when
0: did that happen and, and what effect did that have on your life on your the, Self-esteem?
1: Well, so I, I think that, I think that that relationship really, um, has a lot to do with the fact that I was able to kind of gain a little self-esteem and, and, and be able to build that back up. I mean, you know, to be fair, um, we did meet during the time when I had, you know, lost a lot of that weight and was in, you know, pretty good shape at the time. Um, but, but through whether I was in great shape or gained a few pounds, because you know that was a very yo-yo time in my life, right, with the bodybuilding um, that I was doing and that and that sort of mentality and the the fad dieting, um, and and the way that she felt or the way that she talked to me or the way that she looked at me like never changed. Mm-hmm. Even if I gained 30 pounds. So, you know, just kind of very interesting that 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 didn't change anything.
0: Uh uh-huh.
1: um, And right. so over, and of course, over know, years and, of hearing that, and Josh, I guess eventually.
0: And Josh has exactly the same story. Yeah. Right? Josh Lajani and and kind of, you yeah. know, Rich Roll as well, where, you know, I talked yeah. talk to his wife on the podcast and she's like, the the, the day that I gave up on him. <laughs> in terms of trying to change him and just sort of unconditionally loved him for who he was is the day that there was the space into which he could step with autonomy.
1: There must be something to that.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like this podcast would be a lot truer if we just had the spouses of the people.
1: <laughs> you know, that might be that, – that actually is a really interesting idea. I, I almost wonder, and this would be a lot of work to coordinate all of this, but how cool would it kind of be to, if you had the person – and then the, the next episode was their spouse. Yeah. <laughs> this is what really happened. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, but, so back to, back to your story. So you, you and your but, wife moved somewhere?
1: So, well, so we moved and we moved to a small town and there was not a lot of uh, health food stores or a lot of, uh, you know, plant-based options or things like that. I mean, it was, it was a place where, um, you know, it was either seafood or, or barbecue. And that was kind of the culture and that was the food that was there. And I really, and and so even though I had kind of started experimenting and getting interested in uh, this plant-based eating, then we went there and it was like, oh, here's all these people eating this way and living this way. And so I just started doing that, um, kind of went back the other direction. And um, I mean, I was a huge, I've always loved to cook. I was a huge meat eater and, and I mean, just barbecuing stuff all the time. You know, on a Tuesday, I might be making a giant brisket at home for 12 hours. You know? uh-huh. um, and just really into that and, and, and drinking a lot, you know, partying, you know, even on weekdays, you know, not not just saving it for the weekends, just all the time and, and just really overindulging. Um, and so then I gained the rest of that weight back. Uh-huh. Okay. But I still had that seed of knowledge in my head. From the stu- and, and, and honestly, through all of that, I still found these podcasts very interesting to listen to.
0: Right. Well, um, it's, it's funny what what happens when nothing's happening sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm going to try to get her on the podcast. I was talking to a woman at the recent uh, conference I attended in D.C. who has a smoking cessation program where their kind of big differentiator is like don't try to quit unless you're ready to quit. So don't set a quit date. But while you're while you're not just committing to quit, there's a whole bunch of things you can do mm. other than just smoke and feel guilty. Right. Right. So you can keep smoking, you don't have to feel bad about yourself, and you can gain sort of knowledge and experience and insight and use that time productively rather than what most programs do, which is insist that you set a quit date. That, that, that may not be realistic. And it sounds like you were incubating something, even even, yeah. even while it looked on the outside like no mo- no motion.
1: Well, it's funny because, I, you know, I almost was, that incubation period was kind of accidental. You know, I didn't have, like, like you talk about a program like that where you say, okay, we set this quit date and there's, you know, and there's this period. But I didn't even have a quit date in mind. I just was living that way, but all in the back of my mind, I'm still learning this information. Um, and okay. then, you know, eventually I got an Audible subscription, and and that really helped. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: Because... So what, what there, flipped the switch for you? The Blue Zones.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The Blue Zones. Because as soon as I read that and started, started, started thinking more about longevity, that, so that's where it really started helping me to think differently about... The, the purpose of why I would eat better and why I would move my body more um, into a longevity perspective, um, and I suppose honestly, even the seed for that though was planted a couple years earlier. You know, because as as I say that, the thought comes to my mind of a conversation that I had on the podcast that I used to host. My co-host and I were talking one time. It was an anxiety uh, coaching podcast. And we were talking one time about a conversation she had with her husband. And he was going to do this long swim. And she said, oh, well, do you want me to go beside you in the kayak just in case? And he said, no, I trust my body. And, you know, the the thought struck her. And the same thing when she told me the story, like, wow, I trust my body. And, you know, that really is the difference. I, I was at a place where I didn't trust my body. And so then when I read The Blue Zones and then followed that, you know, shortly after that with, um, the China study in proteinaholic and just and then from there on, it just became everything I could find. Um, but those three books were kind of the initial, but as I started going through that, it was like, you know, I want to be able to trust my body. I want to be able to do what I want to do with my body again. And you know, I've always loved being outdoors and hiking and swimming and biking and all these different things. And it's like, I, there's no way I was going to do any of those things if I wasn't comfortable taking my dogs for a half mile walk. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Right. And just, and, um, a, qu- a quick aside is that when you started doing these, the cooking, you were, you're pretty inventive. Um, so I don't yes. know, are you, are you still doing a lot of Instagram? Cause I'm not really up on Instagram, but, uh, Kevin eats plants, um, has, has been a huge source of uh, ideas and inspiration for folks around, Ways to eat healthy that are still like fun and palatable.
1: Well, oh, and it's kind of interesting because that was my you know, that 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 also helped make it um something to commit to and something of a hobby for me. You know, I, I love to cook and like you said, I was very, you know, interested and inventive in what I wanted to make and what I wanted to cook and trying new recipes and, and making things up. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, well I'm gonna you know, I'm going to eat all these plants and stuff, so what the heck do I make? Which is, I think, a very common question that people ask themselves. What am I going to eat now? And so, all of a sudden, I just took that as as a challenge, you know, as a hobby for myself to learn how to cook, you know, without, you know, cooking vegetables in a bunch of oil or butter or something. Um, without the meat, without the fish, without any of that stuff. Just plants and using uh, vegetable broth if I'm sautéing anything, you know, and, you know, I even enjoyed on occasion, I'll try making out like a, like a cashew based cheese or, you know, my wife's favorite food's always been pizza. So Friday night I get a, a, engine two whole grain crust and put some, make my own sauce and put some vegetables and blend some cashews with water and garlic and make a, a cheesy sauce to put on top.
0: Mm-hmm. Ooh, pepper, um, pepperoni flavor on last week's.
1: Yes, pepperoni flavor is my biggest. So I found out that um, basically paprika, garlic, uh, crushed red pepper is the main, and fennel is the main flavoring of, of pepperoni. So I put that on top of there now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. So, Ke- so Kevin Eats Plants on Instagram is where you can find these great pictures and, and yeah. yummy stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and and hook up with me there. I'm I'm a little bit less frequent with, with that stuff now. I just had a baby uh ten weeks ago today, and so I'm a little bit, you know, focused on him at the moment, but right. try to do the occasional post. And just,
0: just in the interest of, of, of full disclosure, your wife helped.
1: Uh she well, she was there for some moral support.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, we don't, we don't want to give them too much credit, but uh, you know, where it's due, right? Yes, yeah, G- she, give her what she deserves. She was she was part of the operation.
1: She she showed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, she did she did a wonderful job. Let's in case she hears this. We, we should really be honest. She did a, she did a fantastic job and Wait, in case um, she
0: hears this, she's not she's not a devoted listener to plan yourself.
1: Uh, she sees my name on there. She may I want to hear it. I'm crushed. <laughs> she might be embarrassed. No. Um, um, right, well, did, she had a fully plant-based pregnancy and did a great job and she was ac- able to be active and exercising the whole time. And, and this kid at 10 weeks old, every doctor we see talks about how he's uh, advanced and ahead of, ahead of schedule. So,
0: yes, he's, de- he's definitely ready for middle school, if not college. He's not quite three months old. He's an amazing kid.
1: Well, I like to throw that out there just because I can recall, you know, when she got pregnant and we we're starting to look at all this stuff. I, you know, you start to see questions out there like, oh, is it safe to go through pregnancy this way? And, and or is your baby going to be okay? And uh, he, he's better than okay. So,
0: right on. Um, right, well, anyway. Let's, yeah. Let's, uh, so then we, we, we met, we started talking. Mm-hmm. You um, told me about all the, all the coaches you had trained, and I was just getting ready to start doing that. So we, we partnered up um, for WellStart. To yeah. to train health coaches. So let's 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 talk about that.
1: Yeah, uh, that's been that's been a lot of that's been really exciting for me. Um, you know, it's kind of cool I get to make friends with people like Howard, um, which is <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Howard, Howard, are, I know all you guys. Are there
0: people like me? <laughs> well, there's one. Okay,
1: <laughs> that would, it would be uh, nice but, to
0: know that there were people like. Him. I would go find them and be validated. I get to make friends with
1: person like Howard. With person, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I mean Howard. Is, Howard is not only you know I'm, I'm sure all of you, anybody that's listening to this is listening because they enjoy your your work and your podcast and and maybe you know some of what you've written and things like that. But um, you know Howard's genuine. He's he actually is a, a, a just a great person who who really cares about people. So this is this is not like a a, a, a fake character that he's putting on for the show or anything like that. And, and that really, well, I mean, that, that, that yeah. really makes doing this work that we do together um, a lot more enjoyable and, and made it a lot more interesting, exciting for me to, to get involved with.
0: Yeah. right, right back at you. I mean, just, you know, from, from your insights about anxiety and trauma, which I want to talk about because it's, I think it's one of the two missing links in, in coaching, which tends yes. to be extremely cerebral and you know put it on your calendar like that's our that's our move like the reason you haven't you know you're 280 pounds and you haven't exercised in six years is because you've never thought of putting it on your calendar right like that's that's our wait i can put it
1: on my calendar
0: that's our coaching move (laughs) yep (laughs) um you know and you, you know your your ability to um Kind of you know see the whole room because we we do coaching cohorts um, to kind of get a sense of where everybody's at what everybody needs and your attention to detail so there's no there's no way this thing exists um, without your you know fun, fundamental support and all the the insights that you, that you bring to it but let's let's uh talk about what we believe about coaching just so you know and i want to do this for two reasons one is if anyone is listening and wants to become a health coach or wants to become a better health coach i i want to you know i want this to be valuable for you but also for anyone who wants to change because what we teach coaches like the coaches always apply to themselves right like they'll come back after week two of the program like hey i quit soda you know finally for the first time ever um, so this is, I want this to be useful for people who are just trying to understand, um, how to change and how to maintain it.
1: Um, yeah, you know, I think like off the bat, like a very basic thing we can say is a, a, a big difference in what we're trying to do to, you know, this is a, a real coaching method. I mean, it's not a lot of the times, you know, I've done other, I've done coaching certifications in the past and things like that, and it really kind of leans toward just rah, rah, you know, let me be your cheerleader and and try to motivate you when your motivation gets low, and and uh, and push you and tell you to put it on the calendar, like you said, Howard. And and that that's not. We're trying to go a lot deeper than that, and and actually help you to develop the skills to be able to make these changes on on your own.
0: All right. So so maybe we could we could talk about the uh, the graphic, which all sure. all of you driving in your cars cannot see. Uh, <laughs> So pull over if you're if you're running, uh, you know, get, pull out your phone. Um, so it'll it'll be in the show notes. And since we are recording bec- um, the same day as we're going to publish, um, I, I know the URL. It's going to be plantyourself.com slash three two zero three twenty. So the it'll be in the show notes, and it's it'll be a, a PDF of a pyramid. And this is sort of we call it the Wellstart Health attainment model. Um, and it 's got seven layers i, I don 't imagine you have it in front of you in the car, but uh, oh, I do you do see I that do. see that <laughs> always the overachiever. Well I had uh. a year
1: to prepare so
0: <laughs> 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 so the the bottom layer is motivation so um, that 's the question of do I want to do it right, right? And most health coaching focuses. On this, as the as the central basis, and that's that's a, a modality uh, typically you known as mo- motivational interviewing. Um, yeah. And I don't know, did you study this in your when you were doing coach training?
1: Um, you know, not not deeply, um, but I I also felt like it wasn't. I don't know. I it, I think it was the focus of some of the stuff that I looked at, but. To be honest, you know, to, to go and do some of these certifications that focus on that, I felt like I didn't actually have to bother studying. I'd just go take the test and have a certification.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> and what, what motivational interviewing is great for, and it's definitely a, a necessary, you know, arrow in the quiver, sure. is f- especially in clinical settings where someone comes in to see their doctor because they want a prescription upped. Or they want a yeah. procedure, and someone wants to intervene and say, "Hey, you don't need to go down this road. You could take control. You could change your life. You could eat better. You could start moving. You could quit smoking." Like for that conversation, motivational interviewing is perfect. True. Sure. Um, and because we you know we're, we're we're now trying to move into a lifestyle medicine model, it was it became the thing that we had to teach doctors and nurses and other clinicians. Because otherwise, they would just sort of finger wag and say, hey, you need to lose 25 pounds, why don't you join a gym? Or yep. why don't you stop, uh, you know, watch your donuts? And, of course, that doesn't work. So motivational interviewing is absolutely critical for turning people from I don't want to do this to I do want to do this. Um, but it's, that's not the only thing that makes a difference. And the trouble, the trouble is, is that once people are motivated – It's very easy for them to become unmotivated.
1: Yeah, I think that's the huge difference here, right? Is the rather than the motivation being the the uh, almost the entirety of the methodology or the program that you're coaching with. For us, it's the it's the base. So you know, if anybody's not looking at the graphic, what we're talking about is it's a pyramid. And so you know there's a base of a pyramid and you've got to have something as a foundation to start from, a place to start from. And that's kind of where we start is that motivation. There's got to be some level of motivation or or nobody's going to want to coach with you. You know they're not going to, you're not going to want to do the work.
0: Right. And 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 what I've seen in a lot of coaches is that every time, okay, put it on your calendar. Great, I'll talk to you next week. Did you do it? No, something came up. I didn't feel like it. There was an emergency. Something else was more important. I forgot my my phone was on vibrate and I didn't remember hear the ding. And then we go, OK, let's remember your big why. And let's you know who benefits when you make this change and we get them all pumped up again. OK, this week you're going to you're going to do it. Yeah. OK, let's put it on your calendar. And yeah. it's, it's like, and I've heard this from so many coaches that the, this is the thing that they, and we have all these tools for like, imagine yourself in 10 years, imagine your future self writing you a letter, like essentially it's all still motivation. Right. And the problem is, is that, you know, they, they're leaky tires. We are all leaky tires when it comes to motivation. And so we think someone comes in with a flat, we're just going to pump them up and there's, there's, we can hear the hissing as they leave us, <laughs> but you know they're good for another 36 hours until the motivation naturally wanes again. So, well,
1: we, or they hit a pothole and the motivation's completely gone.
0: Yeah. Oh well this you know? this proves this proves I'm a screw up.
1: Yeah. And 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 then I'm done. Right. So. So. That, um, but but to be fair, I do want I do you know I do want to say that. that the motivation, I mean, that is something that we still, you know, some of the techniques that you talked about, there are still things that we'll use throughout the program. Um, you know, I may, I may text someone, you know, as I'm text coaching and, and they've, they, they, uh, are 30 weeks in or 20 weeks into something. And, and ask the, you know ask them to kind of remem- remember or remind themselves of who is, you know who is it that you're doing this for, or what is your motivation or what is your big why um, but that's not, that's not all. you know we, we may remind them of that periodically, but also do the deeper you know stuff that we're going to talk about in the rest of the period
0: right there's no, there's no reason if someone's riding their bike and, they're, and they're, they're a little flat not to not to put air in it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's but if you know, if their gears are stripped and all we're doing is refilling the tires, <laughs> you know, then then we're, we're not addressing the issue.
1: They're still going to spin. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's uh, let's move up one level, um, which the next level is self-efficacy. And the question there is, can I imagine myself doing it successfully doing it? And this is, I find this is a bigger sticking point than motivation. Cause almost like I, I don't know too many people who would, if you, if you said, Hey, if I could wave a magic wand and you could be healthy and they'd go, no, no, I'm fine. I prefer, (laughs) I prefer, you know, my, my insulin and, and, um, you know, glucophage. I prefer the, the, the neuropathy and the look I'm looking forward to the toe amputation right it's not that they don't want the results is it's that they don't truly believe that they can have them yeah
1: and this is a, this is definitely I think kind of a big a big step here because you know we can say oh well look at you know, Kevin lost, you know, this hundred pounds. Kevin, Kevin made these changes. Or look at Josh, you know, did a couple hundred pounds, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but even then, people will still make sort of that, you know, kind of excuse or, or I don't know if it's really even necessarily an excuse, but kind of their, your mind goes to, well, that's him. There's something special about him.
0: Right. We. I was, ta- I was texting with Josh this morning about, how he, w- he was just featured at his, you know, his university did a TV story about him and this amazing guy. And he's like, I'm just a fat kid from the trailer park who did what anybody could do. Like, I'm nothing special. So I was saying, like, we should get in business cards that say, you know, Josh Lejani, chief of chief of nothing special. Well, start health. <laughs> but people don't believe it. Yeah. Right and when you know I didn't believe it when I met him either because we want we we don't have a we don't have a way of of conceptualizing ourselves that heroically right right so there must, there must be something special so the way the way we deal with this is by giving people tiny wins and showing them that you know that they have efficacy in most areas of their lives like the same person who can't Resist a jelly donut at the office is the same person who gets up at four in the morning to take their kid to the ER if they complain of a stomachache because it might be appendicitis. They're the same person who get up at five in the morning so that they can, you know, get their work done, get the kids ready for, for school, uh, take care of an aging parent and be at work on time. Like there's like no, they they do lots of things no matter what, but they have never applied the no matter what mindset that they've already mastered to this arena of, of personal health and, and eating habits.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think maybe along with that is sort of this mentality that we have of like, we want everything right now. Um, we want a magic button to push and So I don't know. I almost feel like it's, you know, if I think back to my experience and, and the, you know, the times when I've lost weight, you know, the, all those early days with the bodybuilding and that sort of thing and doing the fad diets, it was, I push this button, right? Like I, I take away everything except for chicken breasts and now I eat three chicken breasts a day for 12 weeks or, you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever that was, that diet was, you change overnight, this huge, big, drastic change and cut out a bunch of stuff and you suffer through it for 12 weeks or 16 weeks um, versus, you know, this time around and, and the way that, that we would be a lot more likely to talk to someone is if you can make these small changes, take these small steps, you know, show yourself that you can do it with, you know, changing one bite of food every day, maybe this week or one meal. Um, you know, when I, when I lost all this weight and, and went on a plant-based diet, it wasn't an overnight thing for me. I dropped, you know, I, I had meat once a week for the first three months, I, but I showed myself that I could do it. And then once I, you know, eventually I, I never had even a quit date for that. I, I got to one point and I said, you know, the other six days I'm not missing the meat. I can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. And there's nothing that I need out of it. Why am I eating it on Saturday? Right. I can it's,
0: do it, so I did. Yeah. You ever watch the Winter Olympics, the ski jump? Yeah. Like I always think, like how could I could never do that. <laughs> like I and I don't know like how people, you know, practice like you know the six year olds who who eventually win gold medals in ski jump. Like what what are they doing? But it's probably not the adult ski jump. Right? I hope not. <laughs> but, but we we look at people who are. You know, living that life and like full on, like, you know, running daily and eating really clean. And we go, oh, I could never do that in the same way that I would look at the ski jump and say, well, I could never do that. <laughs> right. We don't we don't yeah. see that there are a thousand incremental steps that are that are not only doable, but they're self-reinforcing. That, that every time you every time you succeed at one of these tiny little steps, you are now a slightly different person. And you've gotten self-efficacy. You now believe you have proof that you have systems that will allow you to change. And so I think one one of the, the strong things that our coach training provides is those systems that once somebody learns the rules of how to make a food rule or the rules of how to engage in a fight through or the rules of how to assess a past slip up and apply it to the future with a fast assessment and a when then plan that now they they say, oh, yeah, well, no matter what happens, I know I know my moves. I'm not I'm not confused and lost like there's always um, it's like a flow chart. You know, here I am. Okay, did it go yes or no? Based on that, this is my next move. And it's a it's a very business like predictable process as opposed to thinking of behavior change as like trying to capture, you know, lightning with a kite string.
1: Well, and I can, you know, as a coach, I can remember, you know, going through and and not having this, you know, we talk about it as a roadmap in the course um, or or this process. And it's like you're talking to someone and you're going through a session and, and whatever, you know, things come up. And it's like you're just trying to think as quick as you can, like, okay, what, am I, what do I need to tell them? What's going to be the thing that works? Like, oh, God, I need an idea. Hurry up. <laughs> just to come up with what is the right solution versus having, you know, if we can teach them and, and you know, we talk all the time about building, building the muscles, right? You know, building the skills or the muscles to do the things that are going to lead to success then that's a much more predictable process, and you're not sitting there as a coach scrambling to figure out, like, "Oh, should I tell them to put it on their calendar, or what should I tell them to do?"
0: <laughs> right. I mean, as as a as a personal trainer, if somebody wants to be able to bench press 280 pounds, mm-hmm. right, it's a very predictable process how you're going to get them there. It is. Right, and they have to, they have to build their muscles. And I love that that you know, what we are doing is teaching people how to build their habit change muscles. Yeah. And it's no, it's no more mysterious than that. That's right. Okay. All right, so the next um, level up, um, I'll do, i the three together: strategy, tactics, and ability. Which is yeah. where, like, plant-based coaches spend a lot of their time. In other words, do I know how to do it? So, um, do I, you know, do I know basically how to eat? So, you know, caloric density. Uh, Whole foods, um, right? So, like the basics of the information, and then you know uh, tactics. Do I know what to do? Okay, so now I know I should be eating whole plant foods. Like, what does that look like on my plate? Oh, um, a baked potato smothered in salsa with with um, some avocado on top. Okay, so now I know what it looks like. And skill, and then ability. Do I have the skills to do it? Can I cut an onion? Can I, chew, you know, choose fresh produce? Can I build a salad? Um, and that's really where sort of people who like take, you know, plant-based cooking classes to you know to become teachers. This is where we spend our time on teaching people the details doing, um, going to their houses or teaching them how to, th- how to um, throw stuff out and what, to, you know, pantry cleanses, uh, take them to the supermarket, doing cooking demos, right? This is, this is all crucial stuff. And it's not the, it's not the be all and end all, because if someone still can't imagine themselves successfully sticking to something, it doesn't matter that you've just thrown out everything in their pantry that's non-compliant and, and gone into. shopping trip with them and bought all the balsamic vinegars and nooch and, and produce, they're not going to stick with it.
1: Well, if you think about it, Howard, you know, when I was talking about my story that, you know, the time when, uh, you know, several years back when I had listened to some of these podcasts and I'd, and I'd heard Rich Roll's story and I'd heard, you know, all this stuff and and I started making that zucchini thing on the George Foreman. It's like, I, I knew the strategy I had something to do, right? Because I, I, I knew what to make, right? And I knew how to make that zucchini meal or whatever those meals were that I was doing. Um, but then I didn't, I didn't have the follow through. And so that's what's interesting is you can, you know, you can be kind of stuck in that point as well for a while of, of knowing what to do, knowing how to do it, and even having the skills.
0: Right, well, you, and you anticipated the next rung of the ladder, which is follow through, and the question that I've come up with for follow through is, do I do it even when I don't feel like it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a big because it's very easy to just slip back into old patterns or, or you know, e- even, you know, we talked earlier about emotional things. I mean, you know, some of those foods some of, that we've you know eaten for years, you know, ice cream can be your emotional food or whatever it is can be like this emotional comfort food. And that's very easy to slip back into when you don't quite have, you know, that follow through, that consistency.
0: Right. And, pe- and people think that follow through happens when the cravings go away or when the, right. I- when the impulses resolve themselves or when the voice in your head that tells you to do something that you don't want to do finally goes away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, and we actually talk, you know, we actually teach people to do a fight through. You know, not even just a follow through, but a fight through to, to to flex that muscle. I mean, this you know we talk about the building the muscles, and one of the muscles that you build is that muscle that that makes you, that gives you the strength to follow through, even when that urge is there.
0: Right, and it's it's only in those moments that we grow. Yeah. Right. So imagine you know you you want to become a a great sailor, and you go out. On the lake, in your catamaran or sunfish or whatever, every single day, and the there's you know the winds are perfect for what you're trying to do everywhere everywhere you want to go you've got a wind at your back and it's the right speed and the right direction. you could do that for a hundred days and never improve right. right it's only when the winds are blowing right at you and you have to tack wildly or you have to you know figure out how to keep the boat safe and afloat in in rough chop that's when you actually grow as a sailor and it's you only grow your muscles your habit muscles when they are challenged so we yeah. so we teach people to kind of look forward to those moments where oh man there's going to be a pizza at the office today like great like let's make a plan let's let's not go into it like a newbie trying to ski jump (laughs) (laughs) and let's make sure that we have a plan and let's sort of stress test the plan in our minds and let's look forward to those opportunities where we are challenged as opposed to basically trying to carpet the world so we never have to face them
1: well yeah we don't we don't want to have to live in a bubble Uh, you know it's funny because we talked about my experience with anxiety. And, and I mentioned that I quit my job and all these things. That's what I was doing there. I wasn't, you know, at that, at that part of, you know, that stage of my anxiety process, I wasn't, you know, building, uh, these abilities and, and, and building this consistency and this follow through and and getting, uh, really any improvement. I just narrowed my life. I brought everything down to a place where I felt comfortable. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I I sort of felt like I was experiencing less anxiety on a day-to-day basis, but it was because I was not experiencing anything else either.
0: Right. And people you know, our coaching clients will come to us at Well Start and they will proudly tell us, Hey, my wife went to you know, we went to the supermarket and I stayed in the car.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or
0: yeah. I didn't go I didn't go to the break room all day today. Or I skipped going to the pub with my with my buddies and you know when we all chat and drink beer and like you know great is that how you want to live right right or because
1: you can you can be much more empowered if you go to that pub and you order you know a salad and a glass of water
0: right and then and then other people get to see you uh-huh. um, you know living, living your new way and you get to practice peer pressure. You get to practice cravings. And we're, again, we're not saying you know jump off of the high jump, but practice. You know, it's, al- it's almost like um, what's that? You know, uh, exposure therapy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and Howard, when we talk about doing it kind of that that way, it's sort of the difference. It's one of the one of the major differences, actually. If you get at the root of it. From what I did before with the bodybuilding and the fad diets and all that and what I've done now, while, you know, on the surface, you could very easily say, oh, I'm eating this plant-based diet. So that's the difference. Like, that's the whole difference. But in reality, a lot of the difference of what I'm doing is now I have this healthy lifestyle and I have the ability, the identity, the follow through to do this, you know, even in the situations where maybe I wouldn't have before. And in the previous it was oh i'm eating low carb or whatever it is but then when i'm out with people I, you know i i can't really be in that situation so i've got to i've got to spend 12 weeks confined to my little bubble here so that i can lose you know the 30 or 40 pounds and then after that i come back out of the bubble and now that i'm not in the bubble anymore i'm i'm not eating healthy anymore i'm not i'm not following my diet anymore
0: right and that is a perfect excuse yeah OK, so let's let's talk about the uh, the top layer of the pyramid and then um, uh, wind in the anxiety stuff that we talked about earlier. Sure. So, so the top the top, the tippy top of the pyramid we call identity and the question, I think there's a probably a better question to get at it. But I, right now I've got, am I the kind of person who does this? Yeah. So it's almost like it's a noun, like am I a health instead of do I eat healthy? Am I a healthy eater? Am I the sort of person who eats cheese? Am I the sort of person who gets up every morning and works out hard? Right. And once once we once we get to that point, we are no longer plate spinning, right? That we've we've now achieved an identity, and it's a bigger identity usually than just I'm a healthy eater. It's usually something like I'm a performance machine. I'm an athlete. Um, I am a responsible parent. Like it's those, those identities that are connected to our core values, then, then say, well, you know, if I am an athlete, then I eat like an athlete, right? Josh always talks about the, one of the great reasons to have a race on your calendar is that it's a great excuse (laughs) to give people why you're not doing the bad stuff, right? Oh, I'd love, you know, I can't have a beer. I got a race in two weeks. My, my coach would kill me.
1: Well, that's just so much more powerful, too. When it when it comes time for oh, there's this temptation. If you have a reason why you're why you're not going to follow the temptation, then it's a lot easier to do. Um, you know, than just oh, I don't want to, or or I shouldn't. You know, what I mean, just saying I shouldn't those negative kind of thoughts. Instead, you can say, well, I've got the race coming up, or I I am a runner. I'm someone who is is an athlete, and. By making this healthier choice, I'm strengthening myself and increasing my ability.
0: Right. and if, if that beca- you, know, you do that long enough, it becomes your new default. Your default is no longer Kevin the fat kid
1: mm-hmm.
0: right like that's I, I mean I'm sure there's some part of you, there's some voice that doesn't go away around that, but by and large, the way you live your life and the way you're thinking about yourself is not you know the Kevin the default fat kid who has to spin plates to not be fat.
1: Right, right. No, and and I mean, you know, I, I feed that I feed that uh, fat kid very differently, and I and I live that life. Right, I mean, my purpose now is more about what I can do with my body than about uh, you know what it looks like. Uh, that, of course, that still comes into play, right? You know, it's it's nice if you look healthy and look fit, but um, the reality is, I care more about being able to you know grab the dogs and go hike three miles up a mountain.
0: Yeah. I find most of the stuff that motivates us at the beginning, we end up getting accidentally when we stop focusing on it.
1: Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Very true. All right. So
0: what I found so fascinating about the trauma work and the polyvagal theory is that it explained why people who were motivated, who in, in the whole, had self-efficacy, like, yes, I can definitely do this, who knew how to do it. They'd read all the books. They had watched all the videos. They attend the plant-based hoo-has and conferences and potlucks and veg fests. They have the skills they've been practicing. They can post a beautiful Instagram picture of their, you know, lovely acai bowl or, or, uh, you know, air fried potatoes. And, and and they're very much you know they might even be ethical vegans in their hearts or you know yes interested in health, but still doing junk food a lot of the time and they don't and they don't do it when they don't feel like it not and, and they can't understand it because they really really want to
1: Well and even sometimes you can't you know I, I would even add to that that sometimes when you can understand it because I can tell you that the times the times even now, at this point in my life, the times if I do slip up, that's what's involved. Right. You know, if I have something that that is not what I would have chosen, you know, that w- wouldn't be the choice there. If I take a look at that, I was stressed or I was feeling some of those same anxiety feelings, you know, that that, that came up when I was having all those panic attacks. And it's like, oh well, if I eat this Lara bar right now, it's gonna calm me down or I, you know, whatever that is.
0: Um, yeah. So
1: that's, that's even now with, you know, feeling like I have that ability and that identity, um, and on a general day to day basis and normal, normally throughout most of my life, that consistency, but that the percentage of time when I slip up, it's related to that anxiety.
0: Right. And, and just, you know, to give people a really, really too brief, um, (laughs) explanation, I, I, I kind of like start with the word neuroception, which I think is Peter Levine's word that, you know, so we have perception with our with our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our, our, our fingers, that we can sort of sense the world around us. But our neurology, our nervous system also senses the world around us. And it's constantly telling us, are we safe? So it's, it's sort of interpreting all of the other senses to give us a sense of, are we safe in this moment? And if we're safe, then the best thing we can do is either to rest or to engage socially. Right. Those are the things that, that, that will increase our chance of survival. So, um, you know, if there, or, you know, like go gather food and which is usually done. You know, if you're hunting, it's in a group. If you're gathering, it's a social thing. You don't wander off alone. Um, And so, you know, also to make social connections with your tribe so that there's reciprocity if there needs to be. So you're not a loner. And when we feel unsafe, like there's a saber tooth tiger stalking us, then we move into, you know, we move into either fight or flight or like you did after your accident into what uh, Peter Levine calls fold, which is if you if you you, you tried to flee, (laughs) Right? You, right. Couldn't, you couldn't fight the, the, the engine fire, but you, you could flee. But that would have been a good move, right, to get out of the car. Yep. And That was the goal. <laughs> you, you were prevented from doing so by the stuck seatbelt. And as a result, that impulse was thwarted. And when our fight or flight impulse is thwarted and we feel like we are in mortal danger, the only thing we have left to do is to play dead. Essentially, right? So, and we see lots of animals do that. And we have the same um, circuitry to kind of go into, and we don't do it necessarily to that extreme, but metaphorically, and, and actually, we can play dead. We can reduce our, uh, our movements greatly, reduce our internal access to our energy, um, numb out. Numbing out is a really good strategy if you're about to be painfully killed, <laughs> Right. Because you might go into shock and the, your predator will get bored and leave and you might survive. So, like, and so when, you, when it gets stuck like that, your neurology, your neuroception never releases the, you know, never lets go of that message, we are in mortal danger. And so now everything you see becomes filtered through that. So sitting in a movie seat, is mortal danger. And this is my big beef with cognitive behavioral therapy is that we are trying to reason with people about their dysfunctional thoughts. And how much fun is it for someone to reason with you that sitting in a movie theater shouldn't trigger dysfunctional thoughts. When when like I mean did people try to do that or did you come across like oh I shouldn't think this?
1: Uh I, well I don't know that I necessarily did in the movie theater situation but in a lot of similar situations like that yes that I mean it's very like hey this is this is common. this is just logical there's nothing wrong here you're in a, in a perfectly safe situation you're you're sitting in a chair wherever you are um, but that's just not how our brains are wired and that's I think where you know what you're talking about here how it becomes so important is that is just the understanding that the way we're wired once you've got once you've got that feeling, that lack of safety, then anything that is, that is at all similar or reminiscent to that situation can be enough to trigger that feeling, that lack of safety.
0: Right. And you have – it's not a conscious decision.
1: Right. Yes.
0: And so if your body feels like – honestly believes it is in mortal danger and – or in imminent danger, like it's around the corner – then the, thing, the things to do are to eat, right? Because you you're yeah. about to be attacked. You might be laid up for a while. Let's get as many calories in us as possible. So there's a direct trigger to eat the worst possible foods, mm-hmm. right? Um, to, 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 to focus on very, very short-term needs rather than long-term needs. And we really, we literally have no say in the matter. And so trying to talk to someone, to coach them out of this is very often like, imagine you're a driving instructor and your client is sitting in the back seat of the car and you keep telling them to step on the accelerator and and (laughs) you're you're telling them to turn the steering wheel and you're getting more and more frustrated and they're getting more and more frustrated because they can't do it. I don't have a steering wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I know theoretically there's one, I just don't know how to reach it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the key, right, is, is to get, you know, to, to have the abilities then to steer that car right. or to reach that accelerator. And if we don't have that, then all of the no- – and, and and again, that's where, you know, having all the knowledge of, of whether it's this, that you're safe or that you're okay, whatever that knowledge is, having all the knowledge in the world doesn't do you any good if you don't have the ability – it is necessary to implement it.
0: Right. And that's, that's a key piece of our coach training that um, I think is, is especially around, uh, you know, food, exercise, sleep, stress is, is utterly key. But honestly, I, you know, I also coach business leaders and anytime there's a fear of doing something and usually what stops us is some sort of fear, Right, like okay, I'm I'm in the break room. I don't want to be seen being different than everyone else, or I don't know how to have this conversation with my spouse about I don't want to keep I don't want to go out and drink on Friday nights anymore. I'm afraid of what will happen, and so any time we feel afraid, it it triggers that neurological trauma. And all of us all of us have trauma, whether it's as acute. And visually arresting as yours or whether it was just the way we were treated as kids, you know, time and time again, maybe being belittled or ignored or told to be quiet or high expectations or whatever it is, because none of us is perfect and none of us has perfect parents. And so to be able to to go into and understand the neurology, the, the somatics of that fear state. And work and work through it with meditation, with body movement, with breath, with using physical exercise in a positive way. Um, this is crucial to anyone who wants to to make lasting change.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: all right are are we are we wrapped up? Anything we Anything you wanted to talk about that we've uh, skipped so far?
1: You know, I, I kind of just did want to make one comment because you mentioned, you know, you talk about the fear and, and about how we've all got a lot of these situations. You know, it's amazing how much this really comes up in the work that we do. Uh, you know, when we're coaching people, this is not, you know, this fear stuff, this, this polyvagal stuff, all of this meditation and everything like that's not just for people that have a, a very specific trauma like mine. Uh, everybody really has some sense, some sort of fear in their life. And I mean, we end up talking about these things all the time as we're coaching. It's it's a very, um, it may not be something that you automatically think of as, you know, important to working with someone who wants to lose weight or, or wants to regain their health in that sense. Um, but it, but it's something that we that we see every week as we coach. So,
0: right, it's 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 the human condition. It is. It is. So,
1: I just wanted to mention that.
0: Right, and, and we don't te- we don't work with it as therapists, right? So right. We, we we understand it. We help our clients understand it, and then it's all about taking simple actions, right? Doing breathing exercises, doing the basic eye exercise that we teach. Uh, sitting down for a 30-second meditation and noticing how your body feels. So we're not... It, it, it may start to sound theoretical, but it, we end up like healing from it and moving forward through very practical application of, yeah. of, of stuff to do.
1: And that, I mean, you know, and it's just kind of funny when you think about that, like that practical application of some of that stuff was really you know, the part that was so significant in making change for me from this huge amount of anxiety. And, and so not only can it be helpful if somebody just, you know, is dealing with some of this a little bit here and there as they go through their journey. But, um, I mean, that's kind of really the difference in methodology that helped so much for me when I, you know, felt so agoraphobic that I could hardly leave my home. Right.
0: Yep. Um, all right. Well, let's let's close it there because I don't have that much time to publish this, and I'm a, I'm already a day late. I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling like I've uh, I've m- missed my own self-assigned uh, deadline. Um, if people want to know more about the coach training, so if you're listening to this today or the next few days from publication, today's May first, twenty nineteen. Um, we're starting next week and so if you go to wellstartcoach.com you can read all about the program and down at the bottom you can sign up for an enrollment interview and during that time we will talk to you about whether it would be a good fit whether you want to do it whether we think you'd be uh, appropriate for the cohort and then we would take it from there um Kevin I mean we 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 sort of we we got a lot of your story we truncated some of it in the interest of talking about, uh, coaching, but, you know, I encourage everyone to follow you on Instagram, Kevin eats plants. Um, and you know, Kevin is, uh, one of our, our star coaches and a sort of the, the backbone of our communication system, um, with, with clients and, you know, any, anyone who wants to, get better at coaching. Either you're, ex- you're already a coach and you want to, to achieve reliable results. Whereas before it's been sort of hit or miss, or if you want to become a health coach or you just want this skill, like the way some people, you know, can change the oil and, f- and, an air filter in their car, just sort of to help friends and family or to help yourself. Um, this is all, you know, right. You know, this, this is all the sorts of people that we've had go through the previous two coach trainings. And, uh, we're expecting this one is going to be the the most powerful one yet because we keep learning and improving over time.
1: Yeah, we do. And that's, uh, I just want to say that's, you know, kind of with the help and the experience of, uh, you know, the folks that have gone through it with us previously. Um, part of what we do is we continue to have ongoing, you know, uh, calls and discussions month after month with, the folks that have wrapped up already. So, you know, anything that we continue to learn or maybe that they experience, uh, we still share on a monthly basis and continue the learning process.
0: Right on. All right. So I hope, uh, I hope to see here to see some of our listeners, um, reach out. This is, you know, it's powerful work that we've seen ripple out into the world. A lot of our coaches come back and tell us, you know, their success stories of working with clients and, Oh my gosh, you know, even like family members start to change when we adopt these uh, these skills and and habit patterns uh, and in terms of interacting and communicating with them. So we just want this to go out into the world and and really change the the perception of health coaching to to something that actually works. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time for doing it on such short notice. Um, and I'll. I'll Glad well,
1: we're finally able to do it.
0: Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it again. We, we, we should just start doing, um, you know, co- coaching Clatch podcasts where we can yeah, all sort I, of share stories with everyone.
1: That sounds great to me.
0: All right, Kevin, thank you so much. I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. And thank you, everybody. All right. For I hope listening. that was a helpful conversation for you, whether you are a changer or a changee. And again, if you're interested in finding out more about the coach training program, go to wellstartcoach.com. Well, ideally, everyone would be onboarded and ready to hit the ground running on May 6th. If you're interested and uh, it it takes a little bit longer to get you an interview and get you enrolled, it's not a big deal. One one day I'll get my act together and have all this done, you know, weeks in advance. But until then, we're going to just keep things moving on the fly. All right. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support the mission of the show, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. That's absolutely free. You can become a patron. You can share this with other people. All of those are really good things. You can also just drop me a note and let me know what you think of the podcast. Best way to do that, of course, is publicly um, on a review site. But if you just want to email me privately, I love hearing from you. I'll try to reply. It's hj at plantyourself.com. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to the stuff we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 320. That's where you'll find that PDF of the seven levels of habit change that we talked about throughout the second half of the conversation. If you're new to this show, you can catch up on hundreds of archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, I came home from a run this morning and found four beautiful asparagus stalks on the kitchen counter. So I think we're fully into mid-spring. Apparently the last of the winter greens went into a smoothie yesterday when I wasn't home. But uh, there's a lot of starts in the greenhouse and hopefully we'll have some more uh, kale and collards and chard before the weather gets too hot here. In running news, I did hills today. Did 13 reps up the hill. Uh, I found my neighbor Krista running, and we uh, tackled the hills together. It was uh, five-minute-long sprints up the hill, followed by eight 45-second sprints. It's a workout that Josh gave me, and I keep on my uh, my watch. And uh, I haven't done that in a long time. It felt really good to feel that bad at the top of the hill 13 times. Okay, some quick gratitudes. Thanks to Will Ridenhauer for allowing me to use Sabali Don, the Dance of Peace, as the theme music for Plant Yourself. Check out com for more. And, of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jennifer, Lino- <laughs> Jennifer Linovsky, David Bysak, Je- I'm going to try that again, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Linovsky, David Bysak, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Connie Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Roland Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkas, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Patterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Tom Stamfronts, Jeanette Bennett, Gilles, Sarah David, Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dero Navizzo, and Carolyn Carol Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabe, the Equally st- Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemmers, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Brimes with Cinnamon, Nicka Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable Harry R. Susan Lamberty, the Panda, Vegan, Kovic, Adam Sharp, Berry, Heather Morgan, Lashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, DN Norton, Bonnie Lynch, of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobel, Shell Rootless, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Sharon Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls Linda, Ayat, Julie Langholm, Head of and Hainline, Erin, Greer, Avisa, Ali- <sighs> All right, another breath. Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikowski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen, Joe Craft, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jennery, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divit, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Byrd, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Debbie, Deb Casilla. Emily Canelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Carts, Diane Bishop, Billbury, Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Tricia Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heedon, and Meg from Mama Says for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.